morning, Louise Bonza. Good morning, Andrew. How are you? I'm great. Everybody watching, uh, it's lovely to see you all. This is uh, a podcast that we've just begun in regard to helping you understand uh, a bit more about how you do your people, your program, your process as well. Um, I have the absolute pleasure to work with Louise in uh, the business that we have, which is the Deering Group, TDG, as we like to call it. And we're all about, what are we all about, Louise? People. People. All about people. We're all about helping organisations do their people better. It's a really important thing to us. And uh, we're going to start a series of conversations, and we're in the middle of a series of conversations where we will talk through what are the different things we're seeing out there and what are some of the ways we see the world such that you might be able to understand a little bit better and be a little more effective in the work that you do inside your roles and your jobs. We're really very much about how do we help people be better at people. Um, and I think one of the faces we start with, and, and I'll do a little brief pricey for Louise, uh, and then feel free to jump on LinkedIn and have a look at who she is and what she's done. She's a pretty amazing person. And it's a privilege to work with her. Um, and Louise has been in a lot of different organisations and a lot of different types of sectors and has got a real wealth of experience and knowledge inside of that. Um, <clears throat> and uh, joined my crew uh, about two years ago, a year and a half. Yeah, somewhere in there. It's gone so quick. It's been such a delight. Um, it brings a whole level of expertise and knowledge and skill to the work that we do, and it's been, it's been really good to have her join our world. Um, and, and one of the questions that we're going to dig into today, because everything has to have a purpose, I've, I've talked enough at the start, is very much about uh, one of the models that sits at the heart of everything we do. And the model is all about people, programs, and processes, um, and how we understand the usefulness of that and how that then plays out to make sure we can help organisations deliver capability, competency, and capacity. They're the three Ps and three Cs of our world. Um, we believe that those things are really important for a successful, healthy organisation. Um, and it, for us, it doesn't matter whether you're big, small, growing, choosing to stay the right size, it's irrelevant. It's about good health in the business, and those are the pillars that we like. Is that a fair comment? I think so. And to be fair, when those three things work harmoniously, that's when we see the best results. Yeah, spot on. It, uh, there's that little opportunity when you see those things starting to work at any level, just as this lovely hum, isn't it? Um, just seeing that, that hum that happens through the team and through the business where people, you know, know that they have around them what they need and, and they have the systems, the program, the process, and the people are comfortable in the space of living as well. <clears throat> not an overnight job though is it it takes time and a bit of effort and it's uh and look and to be honest to be completely transparent we still do that kind of work in our own team as well because it's a never-ending opportunity to learn and the world keeps twisting and turning as we have all well and truly seen in the last window of time and today louise um really interested because because you are at the moment deep in a bunch of conversations with clients across a bunch of sectors and the the, the thing that you keep hearing is, uh, you know, we talk about people, program and process. And, and I think the thing that captures everybody's concern is the people bit. And uh, I think the, what's, you know, the question, which you frame beautifully, what's the question you keep getting asked over and over and over in different forms? Over and over. It's, yeah, it's all about people. Where do I find them? Where do I find amazing people? Where do I find great people? Where do I find people? 
Mm. All of the um, challenges that we've seen in the last few years have really compounded uh, most organisations' ability to attract and retain talent. And so what, what I'm seeing a lot of at the moment is for those organisations who've been able to hang on to uh, some great talent, sometimes the process and program uh, disappear because there's an over-reliance on that one or two amazing people. But the challenge becomes that if that person, you know, takes ill or needs to take time out, the whole thing kind of falls apart because there's no systematic or standardised way in which people are appro- uh, approaching how they do their work. Mm. Yeah, it's... it's um, so that problem... Uh, so the other thing we didn't talk about is that TDG is... We do work around the country. Um, sure do. I'm, I'm uh, lucky enough to live in Brisbane and Louise is lucky enough to live in Perth. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when you talk about that, are you just talking about Perth people, like WA? Um, is that what you're talking about? No, obviously I'm having a lot of conversations with folks in WA, but many of those organisations are um, not just here. So obviously uh, we've seen lots of uh, specifics around border closures and yesterday the borders uh, lifted. So we might see a bit of uh, a an influx. There's certainly a lot of planes on the horizon uh, coming in at the moment. Um, Can I come back? Can I come back, please? Very shortly, Andrew. When there's space <laughs> on a plane, you'll be able to come back in. But no, what we're hearing is um, the 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 issues around talent aren't just localized. Mm. They uh, talent, you know, pre-pandemic, uh, it was easier to source people from other parts of Australia and internationally. You know, many people had chosen to live in glorious uh, overseas destinations and fly in and fly out of Australia. Uh, so what we're seeing is not just local businesses with these challenges, but those around Australia and even those that are <coughs> the larger clients that we deal with, the multinationals, they're having just as, as many challenges in terms of uh, enabling a, a mobility of their workforce through different countries. Mm. Is it um, particular sectors? Do you think? I don't think so, no. I think okay. that's that's actually the most difficult part because if it was just one sector, it would probably be easier for the government to, to identify a, a way to incentivise movement or do something in terms of uh, some skill sets or the like. And, and they certainly have a role to play and they are doing um, a lot in WA, particularly to address some of the shortages in specific skill sets. Um, but I think the reality is... No business is actually uh, free from this challenge. Mm-hmm. And if they are, they are <laughs> a very rare minority. I haven't spoken to anyone in the last probably uh, 12 to 18 months that haven't mentioned having a challenge around finding and keeping um, talent. So I think from that perspective, it's um, industry agnostic, whether it's resources, whether it's manufacturing uh, whether it's, um, you know, customer service, call centres, everyone, banking, finance, everyone I talk to, uh, what we're hearing is um, <clears throat> the last couple of years have seen some people's attitudes change in terms of what they want to spend their time doing. Mm. I think there's been some, I guess, reassessment of what's important. For those who were never able to work from home and have been able to spend more time with the kids and the family and the pets and go for a walk after work or, or do those things. There's been some new flexibilities, I think, um, that have become possible just through some of these flexible working arrangements that we've seen more of. 
And I think to that point where the organisation has asked them to just revert back to full-time, you know, in the CBD, which means an hour and a half commute each way each day, many people are saying, actually, no thanks, I've, I'm not fussed on that anymore. Yeah. I was reading uh, something recently around um, the, I think, Generation Z is what's being called, um, but there was some interesting um, data there to suggest they'd be happy to drop 30 or 40% of their pay if it meant that they could have more flexibility in where and when they worked. Mm-hmm. And the reality is, is it's not <coughs> going to, that need uh, to do things differently is not going to change anytime soon. <coughs> Excuse no. me. So I think it's on organisations now to identify more creatively how they can tap into other sources of talent they might not have considered before. I was having lunch with um, uh, uh, someone earlier in the week and we were reflecting on uh, a a typical fly-in, fly-out roster in a mining scenario. Um, That place is actually um, not so far from uh, a a reasonable-sized country town. And so drive-in, drive-out is an option. It is an alternative. And I said to her... Uh, we often think around um, the boundaries with which um, sometimes the organisations place on us in terms of rosters and patterns and schedules. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And I said, uh, would it, so we were talking about the eight six panel. So that's eight days on and six days off for those who aren't familiar. Yep. And instead of having one person do the eight and six, which then infers you have to have a back to back that does the eight and six. You know, could you find uh, someone locally that would do a four three, and you actually put two four threes together? And it was just, a, it was just, you know, one tiny example. But because of sometimes the HR policy or procedure around uh, roster or pattern or cycle, or you know, how would we possibly remunerate that kind of person? We don't have a benchmark to compare that to. I think sometimes the creativity has been lost, and and we get stuck into old thought patterns and old kind of pigeonholes and. Yeah, I think what what we need to do in this new uh, in the new world order is really open our mind to what else haven't we tried that might be an option. Yeah, it's pretty cool, and I think uh, I agree and see the same sort of things on occasion with uh, you know this whole piece. For me, it's a I, I, I don't think we've quite got there yet, but the whole flexibility in people's requirements is a, mm. is another pillar of diversity and inclusion that's not really quite there yet but it should be. Um, It's about how do we provide another type of diversity in the workforce, and that can be remote. We're also hearing about organisations who are employing, who who more than ever before may be locally based but working internationally. Um, I know for myself, you know, someone who who lives across the road from me and is part of a global leadership team based in the U.S., his life has different time zones that he works with, but he makes it work and he loves it. I mean, they're the kind of things that this diversity piece and, and why I say diversity and inclusion, inclusion often seems to be the, the second cousin that gets forgotten about. Um, and that inclusion piece is critical, especially with remote in my view, because uh, if you don't include people, you're going to exclude them if they can use that binary. And if they're not included, they're going to get disengaged and distracted. Um, to the point of what you're talking about, even rosters and the like, you know, how do you make sure that whatever choice is made allows the ability to have diversity? I mean, local content, what a cracking outcome for a client, for, for, for an organisation. 
And for the local person, they actually don't have to be away from home for big chunks. They just have mm. much more manageable chunks, mm. you know, um, really clever. Just on that too, we similarly had a, another client in a completely different construct um, talking about the drive-in, drive-out model where a residential worker worked 5-2. And my question was, is, is that necessarily Monday to Friday? Why do you ask? Uh, and it's like because uh, they might actually get a whole heap more done on the weekend when not as many people are around. You know, mm. have you thought about perhaps having the five days over the weekend to actually increase their efficiency and, and capability to get stuff done? And the feedback was, oh, no, I have never thought of that. Well, why would I have thought of that? So, again, sometimes it's, it's, it's sitting there right in front of us. And it just takes a little, well, what if? Why not? I think we've mm. always done it that way. We hear a lot of that, right? Yeah, it's always in the same kind of works. It's okay. Mm. Um, I, I do. I would suggest though that, and what you're seeing, um, Bram, sort of reinforces is that people are asking more questions, and I don't just mean absolutely the workforce is asking more questions more than ever, but I also think um, organisations, leaders, uh, people, folk, and that doesn't just mean. I mean, people, folk isn't just HR. Respectfully, um, you know, obviously the HR have that level of uh, consultative uh, stewardship of those sorts of requirements, but the whole organisation, you know, managers, operations, functional, whatever, it's being asked all over the place. Like, how do we engage, as you said earlier, and and maintain and develop talent? And and how do we do that well? Um, I think I, on that point, just to touch on that whilst you've mentioned it, I think... There's also this um, bleedingly obvious opportunity to grow talent from within. So that's building your existing uh, workers to have some new skills, to have some new uh, tips and tricks and new capabilities they can apply. Because I think uh, we're seeing also people wanting uh, a little bit more variety and a bit more diversity in the type of work that they're being um, involved with. So where we can also, um, I guess, advocate to not just look outside all the time to find new talent, but necessarily look inside and say, well, that person's great at that. How about we, you know, skill them up in this extra thing and that's going to make them far more um, effective uh, in the workplace? Yeah, spot on. And this is an uh, interesting frame, isn't it? I heard recently, um, so I heard a similar conversation recently in the organisation person said, oh, we have to reskill the whole person. You go, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, no, no. Do we? You know, you, yeah. <laughs> Do you really have to reskill the whole person? Or is there a base level of capabilities or competencies that are incredibly transferable and then you just have to manage the gap? You know, um, I remember years ago I used to have a mantra when we dealt with some clients, which is around uh, find the gap, bind the gap, and mind the gap, you know, the old British underground kind of thinking. But it was this piece around understanding before you leap off into solution and problem, Actually, understand. Seek to understand. Do some analysis. Do some. Yeah. Is that something we do? Is that something you would suggest companies do? What's the how do I, how, how do we do that? <laughs> how would I know what my gap is? I don't have a clue. And I think I think that can sometimes be a trap that uh, we just go straight to solution mode without really uh, understanding, you know, what um, what the current state is. We typically. Um, work with our clients, and even those clients who come to us and say, we want you to do this. We had a recent example. We need you to build a new org structure for this function. 
And it was like, well, we could do that, I suppose, uh, and, and it might work. You know, there's only so many, I guess, iterations of an org chart from a functional perspective. Um, but instead we said, well, before we just step in and do that, how about we seek to understand the work that needs to be done? Mm. And the feedback was, wow, yes, let's do that. That's really helpful. Mm. And so we've actually been on a journey with them, understanding the current state and also understanding um, where they want um, the organisation to go kind of in the next three to five and beyond years. And I think it's been powerful in asking lots of questions and getting a sense of they thought, you know, certain processes were working reasonably well. When we spoke to the workforce, actually there's some challenge there that I guess the uh, management sponsor wasn't actually aware of, which has been helpful in understanding the real, um, the real challenges that need to be addressed and I think that certainly uh, with some of that wisdom from, you know, the frontline workforce, being able to um, shape the thinking in terms of the recommendations and the future state. Mm. It's powerful. I think it's, um, you know, it's in the way I think about it, the way you talk about it, sort of what, what you did, what you do and what could you do. Yeah. And, and I think with one of the mantras that we like to talk to pretty clearly is all around being better or be better. It's a pretty insignificant thing without understanding where you are. How do you know where you're going to go? You know, everyone jumps on their phone and uses Google Maps, Apple Maps, Waze, whatever the different tech is. But every single time you use it for directions, you need to start and a finish. Yeah, absolutely. And so often we, in organisations, we think about the finish. I want this. You go, where are you starting? So what? Just get to the finish. Yeah, but we need to understand the journey because the journey is what matters. Um, and the journey in and of itself is a huge amount of value, as you said, with that senior leader who was able to, through that journey, pick up, and I know it's more than just that, a bunch of different things that made them quite uh, mindful of some of the complexities that they didn't know about before and how they can work with that to give better solutions and better outcomes. Um, so not just the, the work that's ongoing to get them to be better, in the design of a new functional team, but the work to get there has been hugely useful. Um, I know I've been able to sit on the edge of some of those conversations and watch, and it's uh, it is a really valuable thing. So yeah, cool. So what what you know? So I'm sitting here, I'm listening, I'm going, this is a great conversation. Yes, I'm dealing with this kind of complexity. Louise, Andrew, great. What do I do? What are the kind of things I might want to do? How do I think about this? Um, because isn't it just about hiring? Like, I just need to hire some people. Let's hire some people. And I'm, and I'm, this is about a now problem. Um, and I'm kind of like this one to deal with right now. And as we often talk about, the next and later gets forgotten. But what might people do? What kind of things can they think through and or apply today? I think there's many things that people can do. I certainly advocate that, um, yeah, whilst it seems like an immediate need to fix the now, if you're not thinking about what's next and later, you're probably not going to have a sustainable solution, whatever you're thinking through. I'd encourage, firstly, reach out to us and let's have a chat. <laughs> but we're both yep. uh, really uh, able and available to speak to anybody who wants to, yeah, bounce some ideas of us, see what what. We're thinking, see how we can help. I yep. think um, in the, you know, in the 
um, more immediate opportunities. There are all sorts of um, groups, conversations um, and otherwise out there that are all, I guess, talking to some of these challenges and seeing ways in which we can work together to come up with some uh, common common outcomes. Mm. Yeah, and I think it's great and I guess I also am thinking about how, you know, we think through, even when we do work, um, how mm. we would advocate for other people to think through it is, as you said, the, the now, next, later model. Um, and just so we're a little clear on that, we'll talk about that in a whole other podcast because I think it's interesting, but it, uh, it is just about freeing yourself from time per se and just creating different spaces that you can work with. But like I said, no spoilers, that'll be for another conversation. Um, but inside of that, you know, thinking about um, things like the skills analysis that we do, being able to having a look at the organisation, understanding what is it our people actually do. And there's a really cool model, another one that we talked to, and again, I won't get too deep into it, but it is around, you know, understanding skills, which is really about the work. Um, our state in the middle is how do we get to a place of workers flow, you know, where it, it works. And we're not talking about perfect. We're talking about better and enough. Uh, we don't certainly don't think everything has to be gold-plated at all. Uh, it's what serves the organisation, you know, um, what's fit for them, where they are, when they are, with a mindfulness of where they want to be. And that whole idea of workers flow and the, the triangulation of workers done Workers imagined and workers desired. Um, and again, it's another conversation. We'll explore that a little <laughs> further, dropping all these little teasers. But it is, it's a really important thing, isn't it, to understand people helping to understand and seeking to understand what is it our people are actually doing? When you talk to organizations and you do this process, or the team does this process, because it's obviously not just you and me. Um, what do they see? What do they find? What kind of <laughs> conversations? So, so I think the most common the most common thing that we see in here is the work isn't done the way in which the leaders think it's being done. And it, we see it time and time and time again. And, and to that point, um, without understanding that, it's harder to realise that there might be things that need to be adjusted. Um, we've certainly... Um, yeah, had lots of client conversations in the last couple of years with this kind of um, scenario, but it was interesting. Uh, one client comes to mind in particular where we're having a look at some of their uh, permit-to-work processes and the engagement with the workforce actually indicated that um, there were, were different people applying the same procedure in a different way, which was actually creating ambiguity and they were doing things differently. Now, that's not something that... Uh, is desirable if there's a procedure that there should be enough um, specificity in there to be kind of having people do things in the same way routinely, regularly, consistently on a standardised basis. That's the purpose of a procedure. And yet we had different work groups um, explaining, well, actually, no, we, we do it like this. And it was still kind of okay and within their boundaries, but it was completely different way of doing it. So we see a fair bit of that too. And I think it's, it's the decision then comes to the organisation when they understand that is is this okay or not? 
Correct. Yeah, and, and, and often... And if it's not, what are we going to do? Correct, yeah. yeah. And if it's okay, okay, then and again, how do we manage that? Yeah. Um, so we, we don't... A lot of this, we will happily give advice and insight and guidance, but we all, but the first phase of it's very much about providing information and clarity. Um, so the decisions can be made that make sense, um, which, yeah, again, fits inside how we think about every piece of work we do, that initial discover piece... Uh, to help us understand uh, what's going on. Yeah, so I guess other things that are practical, which we just kind of go through a list of things that we see and we do. I think you talked about it earlier, um, and I want to just go back there. You talked about government having a role in this space. Um, two questions for me, if I can layer them, and I know you'll remember them anyway, so if I could probably put a dozen there. But my, my two questions are, one, who has a role in this? And then secondarily, uh, what does their role mean? Like what, what can they do and what could they do and what's the possibilities in them? If we just think, again, without getting too specific, what, who has a role in this? I think we've all got a role in this. <laughs> I think uh, relying on one party to come up with the, all the answers, you know, it, it might come up with something so generic that actually doesn't add any value, but I think... It's a, it's a joint conversation between all of us. I think people like us, um, small businesses, medium businesses, big businesses, um, you know, government, unions, the, the workforce themselves, like we've all got to, um, I think, share our thinking, make that thinking visible. That's one that I use a fair bit. But mm. there's lots of uh, conversation taking place um, and I touched on it before in terms of, you know, different groups and whatnot. I think there's um, various um, opportunities for people to get involved in, in sharing what they're seeing within their organisations. Uh, I sit on a few uh, industry-type boards and, you know, we, we come together and it's, a, it's a quite an eclectic group of people um, between government, union and uh, business and talk about, you know, the issues that are facing um, the different industries and, and our workforces in general in and around capability. Mm-hmm. Um, I, my thought when I uh, mentioned government, I think the, the government side of it is around policy and enabling opportunity for um, expanding, you know, training in particular to those who might not have been able to access it. So there's been some exceptional um, conversation, uh, certainly within the Western Australian government around uh, upskilling folks through the pandemic and, and helping them where they were unable to do the, the job that they did before, come up with um, skill sets to get them back into the workforce. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's actually even a pile of free courses that can be done through TAFE, whether they're skill sets or courses that have been heavily subsidised. There was all sorts of opportunity there, and most people aren't even aware of those sorts of things. So, again, I'm really keen to get those messages out to people. Um, the other uh, one that comes to mind is uh, one of the more industry association conversations where, again, a series of us come together and talk about workforce competency and what that means, what the challenges are, mm-hmm. and, you know, find ways in which we can find ways, so you're also a part of that uh, on your side of Australia, but find ways in which we can, um, you know, look to standardise what it is that we need to do or how we need to do it or, or what that looks like so that, um, you know, as workers are moving between organisations, they're not needing to redo all of those compliance-type 
you know, trainings over and over and over again. And there's some, I guess, a level of mutual recognition, little things like that that actually um, can simplify what's needed to be done can go a long way to actually uh, decluttering, if I can use that expression, Andrew, to focus on what we need to as opposed to, you know, each time, uh, I don't know, a contractor might move between sites and need to do a confined space ticket each time he moves. It's absurd. Mm. I think that that beautiful word that we embrace and hope. You might use another one for that too, Andrew. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, but the declutter one is a cracker, isn't it? Mm. It's just so important um, in the process. What we've seen when we go into organisations often is um, we want something new to fix the thing that's broken, and often you know, the first thing that we'll do is uh, have a look what's in place. Um, honour what's been done because if it makes it a simpler solution and we're interested, but before that, ask the question, obviously, understand the question better, understand what's available. And sometimes half the challenge is removing the noise and the burden and the complexity or, as you said, the clutter. Um, Organisations are often a little bit full of clutter um, and sometimes the work is as much as what could be as what should be gone. You know, getting out the vacuum yeah. cleaner, the duster, the broom, and or maybe a mini skip or two. You In know, um, some, there is there is often a lot of clutter in organisations, yeah. and we see that as the organic growth over time. Something happens, we need to put a new training program in place, and we 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 see it all the time that we're often add 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 add. No one wants to take the uh, more difficult decision to remove something because. Where there's, where there's this sense of, oh, you know, what what if something happens? You know, I can't be responsible for that. So we just Correct. end up overburdened and oversaturation of content. Yeah, yeah. Because it will, if I get rid of it, it's important. Yeah. Well, if, I, if I introduce risk into the organisation, yeah. yeah, that's, you know, I don't want to do that. Not um, And again, and I think it's a great conversation for we can get in a thousand rabbit holes. Um, mm-hmm. But this particular one is a really important one because it is about how do you do it? If you're going to declutter, how do you do it safely, understanding the consequences and the risk and the opportunity that's present, um, which is why, you know, that's for why us, we do, yeah, That's why we do the discovery and that's correct. also why that job task analysis is so important so we can actually seek the, the, the heart of what it is that people need to do <clears throat> and then we can understand what training or, or competency they need to do those tasks um, safely. Hmm. So I'm going to give you a bit of space. Is there anything else that you think is uh, useful here? Or have we covered off a fairly decent portion of some of the thinking? I think we've covered off a fairly um, decent portion, but I do. There's one other um, thought hmm. that I wouldn't mind sharing. Um, I was. Where having, is yours? <laughs> I was having a conversation a couple of months back um, with. Uh, someone who's fairly heavily involved in um, having conversations with the industry and, and providing some of that conversation back to policymakers and, and making sure that the right attention goes on the right things. There was an interesting sense uh, of conversation around how recruitment methodology is shifting. Mm. And so in the old days, you know, if you didn't advertise on Seek, you'd virtually, you just wouldn't get anyone. Uh, and I thought that conversation was quite interesting because we too were going through some seek um, advertising at the time, and I, I thought we actually found some exceptional talent. 
Mm. And he asked me why and what was that about and, you know, how come we were, I guess, defying the odds that, that were being talked about in, in the mainstream. I think, um, I think we've quite deliberately taken a different approach to how we look for talent. We are not typically going through the same, you know, conversations, have an interview, do a medical, um, you know, provide an offer. Um, it's a little quirky. The ad's a little different. Um, and I think what organisations are, are also going to need to think about, if they want to have a different outcome, they're going to need to try some different things. Mm. And even back at the base frame of writing an ad, you know, is it for Seek? Is it for Facebook? I hear Facebook's being a remarkably popular way of sourcing talent. I wouldn't look at Facebook, but that's me, right? Mm. Um, but it's interesting that if, if the methodology and the mindset's always been write a job ad, put it on to Seek, we're not getting any results, put it back on to seek. We're not getting any results back to seek. Maybe try something different. There's all sorts of um, yeah, unique and different ways that you can look for talent these days. We've recently looked um, to hire some specialty from one of the uh, platforms that specialises in, uh, I guess, peace, peace work. I'm not sure how I'd describe gig, it. Gig economy, freelancers. Gig freelancers. Okay, thank yeah. you for helping me with those uh, words. Um, and, again, what we're seeing is more and more people are, are also mm. looking at that as alternative ways to get enough so work to live the lifestyle they want. So mm. I think, um, I think you know, some of those thought processes around everybody has to be a full-time worker who sits in a bricks-and-mortar organisation at their desk in the city, and I'm stereotyping in the city, but many of the mm. big businesses are there, uh, which infers all this commute time, might be some thinking of the past. And so the thought that I'd uh, leave with those who have um, stayed on and, and had a listen to what we've been talking about today is just don't be afraid to try something different. Mm. Yeah, mix it up. Brilliant. So I think if I think about a bunch of stuff just to provide as short a summary as I can, um, one to me was around understanding the work that you actually need done and that you do. Um, and seek to, seek to understand very much to use Mr. Covey's wisdom there. Um, another one is, I think you talked on it lightly, but it's something that's much more, much more known and understood, um, is around, you know, building your pipeline, the now, next, later piece. Don't just do, like, obviously you've got to deal with the now because someone might be screaming at you to get some warm bodies. Number one, helps you understand the right warm bodies because just any warm body will be problematic. Mm. Um, but number two is how do you start to set up a pipeline? Um, you know, number three, get involved. What you're talking about, you know, there's all these different parts out there that can help as a whole do better. And, you know, if you said you sit on a couple of different, I mean, across the team, we sit on a bunch of different things where we are for free helping try to make things better. You know, the, the energy is going toward improvement. Um, and having that collective eclectic, I think it was the word you used, which I think is spot on, group of people all wrestling with it, different agendas, absolutely, but one common outcome, which is, yeah, you know, how do we do people better? How do we do this better? Um, and that richness is, is huge. If you're not involved, go looking, find something to get involved with. Um, and it's probably as easy as Googling, you know, industry groups and see what happens. Um, I think the uh, – what's another one? Have I missed? I've missed some, I know. What else have I missed from the wisdom that you've been uh, sharing with us? 
I think, yeah, we, we just touched on workers' flow and, yep. you know, that sense of <coughs> really seeking to understand what's needed so that uh, if there's any uh, misalignment or misunderstanding from an organisational perspective, there's opportunity to, mm. to you know, determine what, what we need to do, if anything. Um, yep. And we're going to have a chat about that another time as well, I think, because it's something that people would really enjoy. Mm. And probably the last one that's just in my head that was the, is the last piece you talked about, um, what I heard, uh, was declutter. You know, um, don't just add new things, remove old things that are no longer in service to the people or the organisation. Be open to the idea that it's not just about adding a bunch of stuff. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and, again, you're right, the very last one was try something different, experiment. Mm. And go and talk to your peers about what they might be up to. LinkedIn got a bunch of information out there. Like people happily put thoughts up and give it a crack. Um, if, you, if your organisation's open to it, you might just find new channels that are really interesting and useful. Um, that's terrific. Thank you, Louise. Really appreciate the conversation and the wisdom. Um, and for everyone out there listening, as Louise said earlier, um, you know, TDG, we uh, help organisations do their people better and uh, really keen on, uh, you know, helping people understand what that means and have the tools around them to be able to do that well. And uh, if you need to know anything, feel free to reach out and say g'day. Um, it isn't just the two of us. We are uh, lucky to be in this conversation and over the over window of time, there will be a bunch of other conversations with other parts of the team and with the amazing folk that we get the opportunity to work with. Uh, if you need to know anything, Give us a hoi. Um, we're pretty accessible, I think, and there'll be some details down below somewhere. The wizardry people who make this stuff work will put something somewhere that's useful. But, uh, yeah, have a cracking day. And thank you again, Louise. You're welcome. Have a great day. Take care. Bye.